of time now, our service, we're extending the kingdom, going to give a, a focus, and it's always good to revisit, to keep in front of you, but also it's going to be a little taste of the new members class of what our vision as a church is here. It's in the bulletin, it's on our website, it's up there, but it also helps inform uh, what we say yes to and what good things we say no to. And it's the vision of we are here, we believe, to be a hospital for the broken, to be a rehab center for healing, learning how to walk in the light of the gospel again, and to be a gem for strength and service. Why? Because that's who we are. That is not a ladder that you climb. Those are not different, separated things. We believe those three threads are actually happening in your life all the time. That God has gifted everyone uh, to be in the gym, to use their gifts, their strengths for the service and good of others, for the body of Christ, for the neighbors, for uh, the co-workers. And so that is necessary if we are to be a healthy body, to be using our strengths and to celebrate the differences rather than compete and compare those things. But we are also a hospital because we are broken people. We are broken people that need the physician, the, the ultimate healer, to put us back together again. And so there are times where that season seems like it's way more prevalent than the others. But it's always there. Where there's always a sense to which we need that, uh, that balm and that proclamation of the gospel in our life. And then we're a rehab center because we're constantly learning uh, what it looks like to walk in light of the freedom of the gospel, to look like, what does it look like to walk in light of victory that's already been won for us? Live as forgiven sinners with one another. How do we live in light of that good news in our job? And so that is the thread of a vision of what we are here for and also what informs how we say yes and no to things that are good. And it's something that we try to keep before you. It's what we think God has called us here partly as the Redeemer to be here. That's the vision we have. And so that is a fullness to which we expect anyone who walks through the doors has three things happening in their life. And we think there's only one thing, one solution, one thing to help us grow in that, which is the gospel. I joke about this, but I'm serious too, is there's one drum I'm going to hit. That's I have one trick, one thing that you're going to hear from, and it's the gospel. That's it. And we will not move away from it. If you get tired of it, you're going to hear it again. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Come on, I love that. And so, so that's why we believe we're called here, and that's what you're going to get every single week when you come. Everything we do is centered around that. Uh, and so that's part of what you'll hear in new members class, more of that fleshed out scripture, re the reason from God's word of why we believe that's our calling here and how that kind of plays out specifically here in Edmond. So let me pray and ask that God would uh, be stirring people's heart for the new members class, but also that he would help us to be faithful to that vision and not stray from it. Father, we thank you for the vision that you have given uh, Redeemer here, uh, what you have called us to do and how you called us to minister to others, but we are also recognizing that we are people who need you to minister to us. We, do, we proclaim not from our strength, but from our weaknesses which display your strength as seen in the gospel, that we are people with uh, a deep, deep need, and the only solution is your son's life, death, and resurrection for us. And so we pray that you would help us to be faithful to that, that we would see the fruit of it, that you would be merciful to pull back the curtain every so often to show what you are doing in the hearts and lives of uh, the people here at Redeemer. 
We pray that even now that you'd be stirring in uh, visitors' hearts to potentially check out what we're all about, uh, to look into if you are working and stirring in their hearts to join this church, uh, that we are here not to uh, minister to consumers but to make disciples who live for your glory by living for the good of one another. Uh, we pray that you would continue to fulfill that in us through your spirit because only you can. And so in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, last week was the last sermon in our summer series that we've been in uh, on the parables of Jesus. And to be honest, that series proved to be a little bit more difficult than I anticipated when I chose that series for the summer, but I did really enjoy getting the way through uh, what the parables have for us and taught us through the summer. This morning is kind of a bridge sermon uh, into our fall series, The Life of David. That's where our fall series is going to be on, The Life of David, which we're going to start in actually a couple weeks because the uh, OU, RUF guys coming. Rather than look at the life of David today, we will be in one of, if not his most popular psalm that he wrote, Psalm 23. <clears throat> the question that we're going to seek to answer this morning is, what is the secret of contentment? What is the secret of contentment? How do we find contentment and peace in a world that doesn't work the way it was created to work? In a world where we don't function the way we were created to function, right? I mean, things fall apart. Relationships end. People hurt people. The church hurts people. Nothing really functions as it should is it possible in this fallen world with those things happening to find contentment and peace? There are many books and seminars that say it is. It is. You can find contentment. And they have lots of good advice to give you on how to do that. And the honest truth is some of it's helpful and some of it's not such good advice. Uh, there are some places that say practicing gratitude Practicing gratitude is the key to contentment. You should start and end your day by listing and thinking and writing 10 uh, things that you're thankful for. It's not a bad habit to develop. That's partly good. But, I mean, we tell our kids all the time, practice, you need to practice gratitude right now, usually when they're doing the opposite thing. Um, so some people say that. Some say being able to control your breathing, meditation, and staying present in the moment. Rather than being distracted by your phone and the things that you're anxious about the future, being present in the moment is the secret to contentment. Some still say that it's about self-acceptance, that you must accept, and even more than that, embrace who you currently are as you are. That's the secret to contentment. And still others say the secret to being content is that you must stop settling. You are discontent, they say, because you are settling for less than what you deserve in your relationships, in your career, in your goals, in your dreams. And others say that you have to focus on you. I've heard people say, you'll hear people say, I need to stop taking care of everyone else and start taking care of me. Is that the secret? Is that the key to contentment? I mean, what is it? Secret to contentment in this life. So according to the text that we're going to be looking at, is actually found at the bookends of our psalm this morning. And the bookends say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then it ends with, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
The secret to contentment, in other words, is trusting that the Lord is my shepherd who is leading me through this life to my eternal destination, which, is, which will be to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we forget that or live as if that is not true, then what we do unknowingly is trade our contentment that's offered and only found in a relationship with God for a counterfeit uh, offer of contentment that ultimately will lead to discontentment and lead to anxiety. In other words, when you and I live with what Paul Tripp calls eternity amnesia, forgetting that this life is actually preparing me for the next, when we forget that and we try to make this life where I will dwell forever, then we trade contentment for discontentment and peace for anxiety. Now, let me be clear from the beginning. I am not talking about when I use the word anxiety or depression. I'm not talking of the category that falls into disorders and mental health stuff. Those are real. They're not sinful. And the church, frankly, has done a poor job in caring for people in those states. And we have a lot of uh, repentance to do. <laughs> I don't know why that. Behind that. Um, what I'm talking about is the anxiety, God, I haven't even, <laughs> what I'm talking about is the anxiety that we bring on ourselves, that most of us experience uh, on a daily or weekly basis, uh, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about anxiety. So I just want to give that caveat before we dive in so that you know uh, where I'm coming from. But if you can or are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's Even though I walk through the, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you can take your seat. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, have these words jump off the page, that you would speak directly to where we are this morning, that your spirit would use the power of your word to transform us on the spot that you would breathe hope and life into our hearts and our souls this morning, that we would leave uh, the service lighter than how we came in because of your work in our life through your word. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start at the beginning of the psalm, and we're just going to work our way through it and, and to the end and see what impact this truth had on David's life and what impact it's meant to have on ours. In verse 1, we get one of the most famous verses in all the Old Testament, and that's for good reason, because it is quite powerful. Up to this point in the Psalms, God has been described as king, as deliverer, as rock, and as shield, as our shield. These are all true and important metaphors to understanding who God is and our relationship with him. However, they are all distant-type descriptions in terms of our relationship to him, or at 
more metaphors than the one David gives in this psalm. The metaphor he gives for God here is much more intimate than those. It's much more comprehensive than that. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The reason this metaphor is so powerful is because a shepherd cares for his sheep comprehensively. A shepherd does everything for the sheep, everything for the flock. The shepherd is the one who guides the sheep, protects, organizes, heals them when they have wounds, and disciplines them in order to keep them safe and on the path. A shepherd does not work from 9 to 5, doesn't clock in and clock out, because their job as a shepherd never ends. Their job is to care for the sheep at all times in all situations. So the grounds for contentment we are in this psalm start with this. The Lord is my shepherd. The grounds for contentment start there because the shepherd provides everything that is needed. Look at who is doing the action in the psalm. It is God who is the shepherd. God is doing all the action. God needs, God makes him to lie down. God restores him. God is doing everything, providing everything for the sheep. David shall not want, not because David's so active, but because God's so active in his life as his shepherd. Contentment comes when God is the one we trust to be active in our life and to provide for all of our needs rather than thinking it is God who needs us to be active for him. Look at the poetic description of what the shepherd provides and how he cares for his sheep in the psalm. First, David says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. What do sheep eat? Green pastures. <laughs> they eat green pastures, they eat grass, but sheep don't eat lying down. They eat standing up. Therefore, what he is saying is, I am so filled and trust my shepherd that I can lie down fully content and confident in his ability to care and feed and provide. And then next, he says, the shepherd leads him beside waters. Waters are not, the waters are threatening that he leads us by. They're not, but they're still. They're calm. They're posing no danger to us, to the sheep. They're showing danger of running out, of not having enough water to care for them. And then verse 3, he shows that this shepherd is not just concerned about your physical needs, but he cares for your spiritual needs as well. That he restores your soul, that he puts us back together again. He pursues us. He forgives us, and he embraces me in love, even or especially when I stray. And he leads me in paths of righteousness, but don't miss the end of that verse. Why does he lead me in paths of righteousness? For his name's sake. Do you know what that means? It means that what drives God, your shepherd, to treat you this way is because that's who he is. He is not driven by who you are, what you have done, how lovely you are to him, what you do for him, what kind of day you've had, how you feel towards him in this moment or in the season that you're in. Which means his drive to care for you and love you in this complete way does not change because it's connected to who he is. It's connected to his namesake. 
It means that his character, his namesake drives him to care for you in this complete way. It means that his stance towards you will always be this way care for you in this grace. God's name, God's glory, God's reputation are all connected to your good. They're connected to his care for you. I think we're most tempted, ironically, to leave and wander from the shepherd's care when we forget that we are the sheep in need of a shepherd. And, what, and the sad irony is that we forget our need for him often when we are in green pastures, when we are beside still waters that he has led us to. It's in the good times, when things are going well, that we often forget uh, that he's the one who's caring for us, that he's the one who's here. It is in those moments of blessing where we are most prone to forget our need of a shepherd and that it was our shepherd who has brought us to these places. When we forget that, we start to trade our contentment in the Lord as our shepherd for their foolishness and blindness of trying to lead and trust and We start to lose contentment when we forget that our hope lies in having him as our shepherd. And so when we do that, we wander astray from his guide. As the hymn says, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God I love. This is the cry and heart of sheep. That we are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God we love. That's the cry of sheep who know they need a shepherd. The danger is not that we are prone to leave. The danger is not that we're prone to stray from him. But the danger is when we forget that that's our proneness of our hearts. The danger is when we forget that our hearts as sheep are prone to leave the care and forget that we need a shepherd. So verses 1 through 3 show the areas that we are most prone to forget our need for his care in our lives. They show us the good things that come along are the things that cause us often to forget that we need a shepherd. But it's verse 4 that shows us where we are most prone to doubt his care for us. Verses 1 through 3 show us where we're prone to forget. Verse 4 shows us where we are prone to doubt his care. We often think that when we go through times of great darkness, that his care for us is gone or is untrustworthy. And in doing so, in that moment, we're trading our contentment in those moments for anxiety or anger. But David tells us, because the Lord is our shepherd, because that's true, we can be content and confident to walk, not just by still waters, the valley as well. We have no need to fear evil and its agenda in our lives because we have a shepherd who is guiding us through that. The shepherd is the only one equipped to guide us through, the only one equipped to not abandon us in those times and suffering. He is the only one who will not turn back when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, this psalm is telling us is that part of his leading us as our shepherd is to bring us on the other side of the valley, through the valley, other side of the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, the valley and the green pastures are both his right path for us. They are both part of his care to prepare and lead us for our final home, our final destination. And here's the promise. He is with you. He's with you. And he will lead you, not around, 
And that's what we all want. It's not a bad desire, but he's the, that's not the promise. He will lead us not around, but through the valley to the other side. There is no promise that we will have valleyless life. There's no promise, but the promise that we are given is much bigger than that, I would argue. It's a promise that says, no matter the valley, you go. You are not alone. Because his promise is, I will lead you through it. Isaiah, Isaiah 43 says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Did you notice what it says? It says, when, not if, when. The Bible's honest, and it's clear about what the Christian life is like, that part of his leading and preparing us for our eternal home has us walking through valleys, through the valley of the shadow of death. But his promise is that he will be with us every step away, leading us through it. Also, verse 4 shows that we can find comfort in the tools of our shepherd in those times. The tools of a shepherd, his rod and his staff. His rod comforts us because he uses it to protect us from the enemies who seek to devour. And his staff comforts us because he uses it to make sure we stay on the path that is dangerous. To stay on the path and not stray to other dangers. That we stay on the path that will lead us on the other side of the valley. And did you notice the switch David makes in verse 4? From the previous verses, he stops referring to God in the third person. He goes from talking about God to talking to him. David switches from he to you when referring to God because it is in the valley of the shadow of death, in the great darkness that often happens, that God's nearness, leading, often are felt and needed the most. We are tempted to think that he is far in those moments, that he has abandoned us in these times. But David knows both through his knowledge and through his experience that this is actually is when God promises to draw near the most. Trusting in this truth, not our circumstances or emotions in the moment, are what offers contentment to us even in the valley, even in great darkness. Because it's not based on what's happening to us, but who is with us, no matter what's happening to us. It's promising that even in, or especially in the valley, he will never leave. He will never forsake us. That through our eternal perspective, when we know he's leading us to our eternal home, it puts the reality of the valleys in perspective, the right perspective. That we can be content knowing that he, our shepherd, is in control and leading us to our final destination as our good shepherd. In verse 5, the metaphor shifts from the Lord as our shepherd to now God as our host. God as our host is actually an even more intimate image than him as our shepherd. Host who invites you into his home to share a meal is a picture of covenant commitment 
of actually accepting you and everything you bring to the table, so to say. What verse 5 is saying is that we are the head of the guest at the table where he, again, God, is doing all the work because he has prepared a feast for us. And did you notice some unexpected visitors at that table as well? It says our enemies. Our enemies are there too. The picture is not only did that not only did God allow us to uh, not only did God allow us to survive through the valley of the shadow of death, but he has turned what we went through that was meant for our destruction into our triumph. That these enemies are not joining in on the feast. The image is that they're actually present as captives there, that we can rest and be at peace and share a feast even amongst our enemies because we've gone through the valley, because we've triumphed over it through his care and guiding. As one commentator puts it, uh, this verse is the Old Testament equivalent to what comes at the end of, chap of Romans chapter 8 where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and then the commentator ends by writing in verse 5 verse 5 is a witness to the infinite resources in the worst of circumstances god is not just a god who gives us the bare minimum to get through the valley. The end of verse 5 is showing us that he is a God and a host of abundance, of overflowing. He doesn't just provide what we need, but he overflows with the best of the best that there is to give us. There is always more goodness in him than we are able to take in or consume at his, at his table, at the feast. And beginning of verse 6, David goes even deeper into how God treats and pursues us, saying, goodness and mercy, that's chesed, that's God's loving kindness, steadfast love, will follow me all the days of my life. When William was a little younger, we, and we'd go on walks in our neighborhood, uh, and he would always inevitably uh, get upset, and he would throw a fit because his shadow wouldn't stop following him. Uh, but what's happening in this verse is that God, it's saying that God's goodness and his steadfast love is a Christian's shadow. That it will not stop following you. That no matter, <clears throat> no matter what, no matter where you are, that it follows you everywhere. You can't go anywhere or do anything to change this promised blessing in your life. God's goodness and mercy towards you is more than dependable. It's determined and it's unending. Often the teaching of this in the church kind of goes backwards. We think the Christian life is about us pursuing and following God's goodness in our lives. But this approach will lead ultimately and breed discontentment and anxiety. It's only when we realize and rest in the fact that it's the other way around that we find contentment, that God's goodness pursues you. When you and I rest in that, then no matter where you find yourself in this life, you can find contentment knowing that the goodness and mercy and steadfast love of God is hunting you down and will never leave you like your shadow. 
And ultimately where his goodness and mercy lead you is to your eternal house where you will dwell with him forever. In other words, it leads you anxiety, fear, disappointment, sickness, and death no more. That's where the shepherd's leading you. That's what the path, even going through the valley and coming on the other side, is leading you to. And do you know what makes this psalm so powerful? What commentators say makes this psalm so powerful? It's that David says, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Charles Spurgeon said that my is the sweetest word of this psalm. Martin Luther said, you are not a Christian until you can use the pronoun my. Part of the reason you and I experience and live in discontentment and anxiety so often is that we may understand who God is to believe that he's that for us personally. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd? This metaphor is not meant, in other words, to be an abstract concept to further your understanding of who God is. It's not meant to be another theological knot in your belt of systematic theology. It's meant to come crashing in to your heart of discontentment and fill you with the opposite. It's meant to give you the lens of eternity so that you can understand your now is that your shepherd is leading you to your ultimate home. This eternal perspective reminds you that every day God is leading you towards eternity, that every pasture, every still water, every restoration, even that you go through, he is the one doing all the work. He is the one that provides everything you need along the way. But it's hard to believe this in the moment, isn't it? It is so hard to believe this. It's hard to believe that he is for me and cares for me as my good When everything in me and around me screams the opposite, it's hard to believe his goodness and steadfast love actually hunt me down all the days of my life. His goodness and steadfast love hunt me down like a shadow. And when I'm, even when I'm surrounded by darkness. It's hard to believe this when you've wandered so far from him. It's hard to believe it when uh, you've been in that sin so many times. It's hard to believe it when the plans and path for your life or your kid's life get blown out of the water. It's hard to believe it when the doctor comes back with those test results. It's hard to believe it when you lose a loved one. So the question is, how can I know, how can I know that God is my good shepherd who leads me towards eternity? How can I know that? Everything around me feels and looks different than that. How can I know that he leads me to the place where my soul will fully and finally rest because I am finally in my forever home? Jesus says in John 10, what we read earlier, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lay down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own known me. 
as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. You can know and be certain and content in the Lord as my shepherd, because the good shepherd turned his crushing rod on himself in order to take you and lead you through the valley to your eternal home. And in turning the rod on himself, the rod also crushes and defeats the enemy. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why, and that alone is why you can say the Lord is my shepherd. That's why you can have full assurance, contentment, and rest offered to you in Christ, no matter what season of life you're in, uh, where you are, what suffering you may have to go through. And that is not your pain and your struggle and the suffering that does happen that is awful in this life. But it is meant to shine the light so you can see the shadow of his goodness and mercy with you in the midst of it. Because then, when you see that, you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, because I know he's leading me to dwell in his house forever. Amen.